electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. So, Nikki, thanks for being with us. Thank you it's for having me. to have you. Um, just talk about the show to start with, how the idea began, and, 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 and what it is about the production of this particular movie that fascinates us half a century later. Um, well, I mean, it's The Godfather. You know, it's arguably the greatest film of all time. And I think um, when Al Reddy, um, who was the producer, the sole producer, the last time there was a sole producer of a film that won an Academy Award, um, came in to speak with Nicole Clemens at Paramount TV Studios and talked to her about his story. I think that she immediately recognized that there was a unique tale in there, the story of this guy that was this, like, outsider underdog was not, you know, on the inside of Hollywood, who sold a TV show, had a couple credits under his belt, and then was handed, you know, was handed The Godfather. And I think what's the most interesting part of his story is that Al Reddy was, like, not only having to contend with, you know, battling the studio system to get this film made, but battling the real-life mafia as well. And uh, there's just sort of life-and-death death stakes that are sort of just inherently built into telling that kind of tale. Right. Had there been enough history written about it yet, or are we going to uncover new things about what went into the making of the movie? There's, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of information out there. Um, the, the unique part of, I think, the offer is that it's told from Al Ruddy's point of view, and there's not a lot out there from his point of view. There's a ton, you know, I mean, obviously, like, you know, there's a, a ton from Francis Ford Coppola's perspective, and there's Robert Evans, and the kid stays in the picture, and Peter Bard, and all of these other iconic, you know, Hollywood figures. Um, but Al had, Al's story was, like, largely, you know, untapped, and um, Michael Tolkien, who is also on the show, sat down with him and interviewed him over a course of like two weeks. And it's, you know, about a 140 single space pages and all of these anecdotal stories about, you know, everything from casting Al Pacino to, you know, contending with um, Joe Colombo, who was right. one of the head of the five families at the time. Did it make it easier to pitch? Because it was it was something Hollywood understands. Oh, the making of an iconic movie. It's, it's right. It's literally in our backyard. You know, I think that I, I think that you know I wasn't there for the pitch, but from what I understand, Nicole Clemens at, at Paramount um, Television Studios told me that when Al Reddy, you know, came in, I think that she. She recognized, obviously, all of the same things that, you know, that, that I had recognized. And, you know, and, and Al Reddy has, you know, has this, this fairly well-known quote now about, like, every day producing The Godfather was, like, the worst day of my life. And it was just sort of, like, wrapping your head around what, you know, what that entailed, battling for, um, you know, the fights for casting, budget, all of that kind of stuff, this sort of behind the scenes. But I think that when you add the, the mafia element as well, um, um, it's, it, it, it was elevating it to, a, to, a, you know, to next level for, for, you know, the studio. How do you go about casting not just real-life actors, but, like, iconic real-life actors? And did any of them ever either comment or get involved in 
who they might see play themselves one day? I mean, we were largely not having those conversations to because we didn't want to mar. I had just come off of um, working on, on on Hunters, which Al Pacino was in. And, um, and so I think that for us, what we were looking for when we were casting these roles, and it was incredibly daunting because how can someone possibly measure up to Al Pacino or Marlon Brando or... Um, it was it was looking for actors that weren't doing you know direct imitations, but like capturing the essence of who this person you know who this person was you know, um, and um, and I and I and I'm you know pretty proud of of, of uh, you know I, I'm very proud of of the cast that we have and the decisions that we made and these wonderful actors that came in and were willing to put themselves on tape you know to to play these roles. Yeah, I mean I'm I'm always amazed. I mean, Khan, his his career alone is legendary, but the guy tweets a picture from from production of The Godfather almost every other day. I mean, <laughs> it's obviously so important to them. And I would imagine, although Duvall's a little more quiet, I mean, it's it's very personal to them. You know, how this, I wonder... You know how they'll think about how it's perceived, right? All Absolutely, these and it totally and it changed. You know, it changed a lot of these people's lives and careers. I mean, Al Pacino was largely unknown when this happened. You know, Marlon Brando was in uh, what some would consider a slump, and um, and then came back to you know to nab the Academy Award for Best Actors um, or Best Supporting Actor. Right. Um, let's talk about the overall streaming environment. We've been in this period where it's really been a seller's market in terms of content for ten years, maybe yeah, something yeah. like that. Multiple streamers, our own Peacock, you know, trying to get in on the game. Yeah. Are, are you sensing that that momentum is flattening out, uh, accelerating, decelerating from a from a showrunner producer point of view? I mean, I would I would say that um, you know uh, there's more opportunity for sure. There's also more competition. You know, as far as as far as setting up a show, selling a show, what a show needs to have in order for it to be considered dynamic, what the hook is, you know, what what platform it's going to go on. Is it going is it, you know, does it have a is it going to reach a broad audience or is it very cable and specific and, and reaching a small but, um, you know, critically acclaimed audience? Sure. You know, um, so I think that um, I think that it's. Uh, like I said, I think I think that there's more opportunity. It's also in, it's also incredibly difficult because there's so much out there and there's so much content. What about your show is going to be the thing that you know that pulls eyes onto it? You right. know, are there are bidding wars more or less common? Yeah, it happens all the time. Yeah, I mean it's it's like you can go out with a pilot. You know what I mean? You go in, you you pitch to a number of different platforms, and depending upon you know depending upon who wants it, there can be a bidding war, and then and then and then you know which changes sort of the dynamic of, of what the order is, right? Like whereas you might just have a pilot script picked up, then all of a sudden it's suddenly into like straight to series orders, and and depending upon the amount of people that are like throwing their hat into the ring and and how hot the project. Is perceived. Right. I was reading. Um, ben Stiller was talking to Hollywood Reporter about Severance, for example. Uh, and when they started with it, I mean, Apple TV really wasn't a thing. And I wonder how you sort of what you would say to young, up-and-coming showrunners about about dealing in an environment where platforms, you know, maybe they're tomorrow that we have no idea about right now. 
Absolutely. I mean, I think that that's the thing. I think that it's changing so rapidly. It's it just kind of like pay attention. But the, the more platforms there are, the more opportunity there is. Inevitably, the more competition comes with that. But um, but I do think it's a it's a it's a it's a great time to be out there, particularly if you're, you know, established like uh, the young and the up and, and, and coming. It's like, you know, get on a show, learn the craft so that by the time that you get to the, you know, to the place of being a showrunner, you know what it is you're doing, you right. know. Does it make, I mean, during COVID, we went through a big period, actually prior to COVID, where you had a lot of established film actors were interested in doing television. Yeah. But now that so-called theatrical is trying to reassert itself. Yeah. Do you feel like that is, is reversing it anyway? Is it is it harder to get an actor to, to consider television when there's the possibility of of, of movie release? I think that the, I think that it's a really great time for, you know what I mean? I think a lot of feature actors, you know, who who are only doing features are now doing TV. I think that, that TV has revealed itself as being able to, you know, to, to compete in that setting. I think that as long as there's quality material, the same people will continue, you know, continue to migrate. Um, I don't see that going away in the, you know, same way. And, and, and um, in, in the past, I would say, like, five or so years, I mean, I have seen actors that were a definite, definite no to a cable or streaming series who are now open to a broadcast series, you know, so I do think the sort of the sky's the limit as far as getting a great cast. I think one of the things that often helps feature actors um, wrap their lip, uh, wrap their head lit, <laughs> heads around television um, is limited series the, where the time commitment is not is not as great. So that way they're able to go and you know they do a six months and they go into a movie. You know, right. Well, certainly that's that that would be the the playbook here, right? Yeah. With the offer, yeah, 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 is to make a real a real po- real powerful statement, clean up at the award shows, and that that propels you to the yeah. next project. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, are budgets under pressure? I mean, I know you talk about the need to to provide content, and and there's a lot of competition. But is there more is there more penny pinching on set uh, f- from from production studios right now? I mean, I think that there's always a lot of like penny pinching. I think that um, I, yes, I do think that you know at, at all times, right? You're trying to you're you're trying to reduce your budget. I I have seen platforms that I did not um, think would ever, you know, be playing in the real budget game come to play because that's what's necessary in order to attract certain amounts, you know, certain kind of talent, you know. Um, So I think that um, I think that there will always be the sort of penny pinching, you know, involved in 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 production from a studio standpoint, from a network streaming platform, you know, I I think that there are certain things that they take a swing on and there's certain things that they understand can be a smaller budget. You know what I mean? If you have a character drama that's contemporary, that budget is going to be far less than if you have a period piece, you know, with a huge piece of talent. Sure. It's just the natural friction between the creative and the business side. Yeah, yeah. Um, A question about algorithms. Um, There's a there's a there's a plot in Barry this this season where one of the actors is a, she's an actress and she thinks she has a, a green light at a studio or a streamer and the algorithm didn't like it and her show gets canceled. Right. Does that actually? To what degree do do streaming chiefs and studio chiefs rely on the machine? I mean, and and is it ever a deal breaker or is it just one more? one more component that goes into decision making? I think it's one more component that goes into decision making. I think that some of the streamers are focused on that more than others. There's some that I think that, um, 
that are, you know, uh, that are largely motivated by creative content that they think people are going to watch and, and you know, and big swings, you know, anybody like superheroes. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> anybody, anybody that's in tights, um, essentially, you know, I, I feel like there's a lot of, you know, I, I think it, I, I think it's harder and harder um, unless you're on a, a platform like FX to do like a small, intimate character drama, which they do very well, you know. Um, so, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, you're right. It's it's kind of hard to imagine that Atlanta would have passed if it were just an algorithm test. Yeah, right? I don't know. And, and the thing is, Atlanta is the better for it. I mean, it's so incredibly unique. It can't be, you know, it can't be put in any kind of box. And I think sometimes people are scared of that. But, you know, FX was brave enough to swing. And it's just remarkable. Um, we cover Viacom a lot. Uh, and uh, and Paramount Plus, as we've been saying off camera, has been a, been a real upside surprise relative to where people thought it would come in. What's it like working? What would you say about Paramount at this point? I mean, I, I mean, I, I personally, like, I, I love it. You know, I have, um, I, I, I dealt intimately with Nicole Clemens, at, who's at the at the studio and at P Plus, and Jenna Santoyani, who is is um, uh, the, I'm gonna, I'm gonna butcher her title, but like an S, an SVP, be there. And I had worked with Jenna on Hunters before I, you know, did the offer and had and and, and had, you know, worked with Nicole before as well. And to me, it feels like family. It feels um, it feels uh, like there's an intimacy there that I haven't experienced on some of other overall deals that I've had. And it just makes it easier because when you when people know what your strengths are and even your what your weaknesses are, it it allows you the capacity um, to find the best fits for for your own your the projects that you want to do and the projects that they want you to do, mm -hmm. you know. And what comes after the offer for you? Um, I have I, I have sort of a lot of irons in 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 the fire. I'll I'll, I'll just say that. Um, and right now I'm, I'm helping out on a show for Showtime um, called American Gigolo that will be um, coming out in September. So. Um, so excited about that, and um, and yeah, and, and then I just have like a lot of development irons in the fire at various places. I have a project at Peacock. I have a, um, a project at Showtime. So um, you know, it's uh, seeing seeing what lands. You know, <laughs> yes. taking the swing and seeing what that, lands. That's one of the things I will, all, that always impressed me is is you guys your ability to keep all those things in the back of your mind and wait to see what boils first. Yeah, I feel um, like you've got to you got to just keep on. You got to keep a lot of balls in the air because it's the projects that you, you know, that you love and that are your passion passion projects inevitably at times get passed on and you have to have backup, you yeah. know, so that you keep working. Heartbreak is part of the game. Yeah, yeah. it is. Nikki Toscano of The Offer streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Thank you for coming in. Oh my god, Thanks thank so you much. for having yeah, me. That was cool. Yeah, yeah. Go spread the word. When you get a fresh, hot McCrispy from McDonald's and you can feel the heat coming through the bag, don't try to wait till you get home. Always respect hot chicken. The McCrispy, only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.